Sections 58, 59 today. It's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about uh, what it means to cultivate purity of heart and being anxiously engaged in a good cause. Two extremely important parts about building Zion. I'm yeah. excited about talking about building Zion and the place of Zion. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so welcome, everyone. Before we get started, should we follow up on what we read? Yeah, let's do it. So today we're talking about Doctrine and Covenants sections 58 and 59. These are some great sections. The Lord is going to give us a different perspective on tribulations, and he's specifically going to talk about how blessings follow tribulation. He's also going to command his servants to be anxiously engaged in good works and encourages them to not be slothful or expect to be commanded in all things. He's going to talk to us more about how the faithful are going to receive their blessings. They're going to be crowned with glory, and they're also going to be expected to live the commandments and express more gratitude. So we're going to focus in on three things specifically today. Uh, what it means to build Zion, how to be anxiously engaged in a good cause, and how to express gratitude to the Lord in all things. Perfect. So in order to help us better do this, we have a wonderful friend with us today, Hugh Vale. Hugh, would you come up to the stage? Thank you so much for coming. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So Hugh Vale is the founder of Mustang Medicine, which uh, uses Mustangs to teach people about their power and the formation of character. So Hugh, if I understand you correctly, Mustang Medicine is the term for workshops that kind of take the analogy of training horses and apply it to the formation of moral character. Yeah, I looked and searched for a number of years on like how to describe it, and I came up with three words. It's humanship through horsemanship. Mustang Medicine came when I was out on assignment with an organization that uh, rescues children from child trafficking. Mm -hmm. The assignment was to document the aftercare efforts from a rescue operation that had taken place on the island. And so I flew in, had my little crew with me and my, my camera, and you just, of course, are exposed to, you know, trafficking. We were tasked with trying to figure out what's the real solution and how do you tell that story? And I just was thinking about that. When we were coming home on the on the flight home, it was a red-eye flight, and sitting on that sitting on that airplane, I just I heard this feeling that said, "Virtue is the answer." This was one of those conversations that you just I couldn't doubt it. So I said, "Well, virtue's got to be more than what I think it is. If it's the answer to this big problem, I think virtue is probably much bigger than what I understand. Mm -hmm. What do you think you meant by virtue was the answer? What does, that, what does that mean? My question was, how do you actually eradicate or abolish all the slavery that exists in the world today? There are more slaves today than have ever in the past and in the history. And so slavery is alive and well. And that was my question, my intent. And so the answer was virtue. And by virtue, you mean moral character. Moral character, moral excellence, excellence in all things. Horses, generally speaking, have the same thoughts, feelings, and emotions that humans do. Mm -hmm. The thing they don't have is they don't have a prefrontal cortex, mm -hmm. which is where we get our creativity, our imagination, all of our reasoning skills. And so for them, all they care about is just one thing they live in the moment and they just care that they're safe in that moment. I think that's true for humans. And also it is 
the one of the definitions of Zion, right? It's a refuge and a place of safety. Yeah, that's cool. I'm really looking forward to some of your uh, your insights on what it means to form character as we go through the, yeah. the sections here. Yeah. So great. Yeah, this is pretty exciting. So what's going on kind of contextual in this that we're talking about, and thank you for bringing up Zion. The, the prophet has now called a lot of missionaries to go and to actually build Zion or actually go to Zion. And so we have all these missionaries that are coming and they were shocked when they got there and they realized Zion wasn't prepared, that they actually had, had to build Zion. So in this first part, we're actually gonna talk about how to build Zion. When I teach this to students, my students especially, I, I often will draw a big picture on the board and I'll have a number of different Zions. So one, you could have um, the place. So in this case, the Lord is specifically sending them to Jackson County, Missouri, which is a place at the time that was known as Zion. Joseph Smith has another example where he talks about how Zion is North and South America. So maybe a picture of that. Um, sometimes we talk about Utah and that's a, a place of Zion because we're trying to actually build Zion, although we've been told that Utah is not the final stopping place for Zion. Um, I also have pictures of a stake center, a stake building, because we often say, you know, we need to create Zion or stakes and we need to spread the tents of Zion. But additionally, often I'll have a picture of just a heart and I'll say Zion is the pure in heart because that's what we talk about. So contextually throughout the scriptures, we have a lot of different Zions that are going on. Specifically in this part, we're talking about Jackson County as the place, but more importantly, we're talking about how to build a people. Yeah, so here's just a quote real quick from True to the Faith. The word Zion has various meanings in the scriptures. The most general definition is the pure in heart. Uh, Zion is often used in this way to refer to the Lord's people or the church and its stakes. Um, so quick question for the audience. So we're talking about this idea that uh, Zion constitutes the pure of heart. So what in your mind is pure of heart and how do you cultivate this attribute? What kind of uh, strategies do you engage in? What circumstances are conducive to cultivating purity of heart? Um, tell me a little bit about your experience. For me, um, and how we take it an individual is that I can go out the world and make, make a difference in the world. Mm -hmm. But my favorite quote um, that I love is from Mother Teresa, where it says, if you want to make change in the world, not maybe like trying to pure, build a pure in heart and Zion, mm -hmm. you go home and love your family. Mm -hmm. So on individual basis, I, I just try to develop myself in the family, be mm -hmm. an example, and teach them to teach my children we just tell them in the home that choose the right. Thank you for that. Every now and then I give my kids a little virtue test just to see where they are. <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll just be like, hey, can I have the rest of your ice cream or can I have all your Halloween candy? <laughs> just to see if the, <laughs> I mean, they always fail them, but I feel like I have like a metric in place or what one of these days they're gonna be like, sure, have the rest of my ice cream. And I'll be like, oh, <laughs> mission accomplished, yeah. Now, I want to focus now, I want to go to you, uh, you Hugh, and, and get your thoughts on this. So this idea of purity heart, this is perhaps one of the, the ways in which Zion is described frequently in, in the scriptures. I think you have some unique experiences in the sense that you actually, to put it maybe simply, I don't know if this is correct, but you train the character of animals. You, you help mm -hmm. them to be a kind of animal, their best, their best selves. Right. So um, based on your experience, both in your life and in your profession, I'm wondering what kind of insights can you give us in, in terms of what it means to cultivate a pure heart? How do we shape our character? Mm. Speaking from the development of wild horses into a horse that you could put your child on, mm -hmm. right? The thing that you have to do, the thing I'm always doing, is putting the wild horses under situations of calculated pressure. And I would define the calculated pressure as um, an affliction 
or a tribulation. I think any of you use scripture words, but it's the only way to be able to shape or transform character from one state of being into an, a, a state of excellence. I'll give you an example with, with the horses. They use their feet to find and utilize all of their safety. If they got a problem where it's like, I've got to fight my way out of this, well, they're going to use, predominantly use their feet. Mm-hmm. So here you have this wild Mustang and his, his feet are starting to grow really long. And so you got to bring a farrier in, right? This is the guy that like trims up their feet and gives them little manicures and stuff. And then all of a sudden this, this farrier walks over there and he goes to grab this wild horse's foot. Well, that's the only thing that predators do, mm-hmm. right? So this is not going to go well. We're going to get into a fight. So it's, it's like, how can I create trust? So if I ask this horse to give me one of its feet, he's got four feet. This is 25% of all of his safety. It's like, well, what would I do in your life? Mm. That you, why would, how would you give me 25% of your safety, right? And it's like, mm. gosh, I don't even know. Like, th- yeah. that's, that's real mm. hard stuff. Yeah. I think it's fascinating. You're talking about how horses are just in it. Um, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a response to what's happening the here and now. Yeah. But yet in section 58 of the Doctrine and Covenants, I love this verse, it's one of my all-time favorites. It says, ye cannot behold with your natural eyes for the present time, the design of your God concerning those things which shall come hereafter and the glory which shall follow after much tribulation. So, so it's interesting because they say, the Lord is basically saying to them, the present doesn't make sense to you. It's not going to make sense. And so they have to look beyond the present. And I, I think to the, myself, if I were there, and if I were these missionaries and the Lord says, you're going to Zion. And then the first revelation I hear when I'm in Zion is, uh, you're going to have glory after much tribulation. You're thinking, wait, I thought I was going to Zion. Yeah. And you're telling me I'm having tribulation? <laughs> like that's, that's the first thing you're telling me? And mm. then he says, for after much tribulation come the blessings, wherefore the day cometh that you shall be crowned with much glory. I mean, I think, you know, with, with these horses, that's one of the things you're trying to teach them that, and they're living in the present. And the Lord is trying to teach us that, not in the present, but in, we have to trust him for the future, yeah, which I think right. would be so hard. Yeah, well, it I- is hard. And this idea that tribulation is necessary for that process, that he's going to put us in controlled situations, as it were, uh, in order to form our character to where it needs to be. Yeah. So just a, a, maybe a follow-up question for all of you from what Daniel was saying. Like, how do you continue? How do you, how do you really build Zion in your family or in your community? What are you really doing? Yeah, TM. This is a great question for me because when my daughter was called to serve a mission, she had to do her MTC training in our home. And my husband and I looked at each other and we thought, what if our house isn't prepared for that? And I love the scripture in the parable where it talks about how certain servants were given talents and that they were discovered either doing the work that the Lord asked them to do or not. And so I think for me, building my home to be a little part of Zion is just trying to think about what kind of home would I welcome the Savior in if I'm cooking dinner or listening to music or talking to my children, would the Savior feel welcome? Would I have to make any adjustments? Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. So one final question I did have is, um, why do you think purity of heart is necessary for building Zion? What is it about that attribute that really helps us accomplish God's work? I look at the Mustangs. They don't have the ability to dwell in the past. They don't care what happened five minutes ago. And they don't have the ability to trip on the future. And so what also that means is that they can't tell themselves narratives that aren't true right? So there is no deception. There's no lying. There's, there's no trying to get ahead, mm-hmm. right? This is what W.W. Phelps gets in trouble for, right? And mm-hmm. 
it's fine. I've been in trouble too, right? <laughs> and so he says, and he hath need to repent for I, the Lord, am not well pleased. And then the Lord says, for he seeketh to excel. What I think he's trying to do is get ahead of. That's right. Right? Yep. He's trying to gain. Now this prefrontal cortex that we have of like, ah, our limbic brain kicks on and we're like, I'm not, I don't think I feel safe. I need to have more than my neighbor does for whatever ego reason or, or insecurity or shame that we might be strugg- struggling with. And the horses don't have that. That's why it tells me that they have a, they have a pure heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that those are things that we, we struggle with ourselves is like, where's my shame telling me that I'm not enough? So then I need to go figure out how to be more than or present myself more than, and that will, I think that keeps us from Zion significantly. Yeah. And I think that we still struggle with all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it just goes back to that idea that I think the, the, Lord's, the Lord's work is to help people become like him, right? So, I mean, purity of hearts, because that, that's, the, that's, that's our way of mirroring Christ-likeness, right? So this has been an excellent discussion about what it means to build Zion. And maybe now we can focus a little bit on uh, what it means to be anxiously engaged in a good cause. So in section 58, verses 26 and 27, this is what it says. For behold, it is not meet that I should command in all things. For he that is compelled in all things, the same is a slothful and not a wise servant. Wherefore, he receiveth no reward. Verily I say, men should be anxiously engaged in a good cause and do many things of their own free will and bring to pass much righteousness. Before we get into our discussion, I know we have a video from a viewer at home that has a question about these verses. Hi, my name is Lucinda Wald. Our world today is in turmoil over so many issues. Sometimes I want to be like the proverbial ostrich who just keeps her head buried in the sand. But in Doctrine and Covenants 58, verse 27, The Lord says that we should be anxiously engaged in a good cause. Even though negativity and contention surround us, what can we do to be anxiously engaged in a good cause? Well, that's a fantastic question. I love that Lucinda brought up section 58, verse 27. And I think part of the answer is in verse 28, where the Lord says, For the power is in them, wherein they are agents unto themselves, and inasmuch as men do good, they shall in no wise lose their reward. I, I love that he says the power is in them. So it's not like we need to wait for somebody to give us a mission call. God has already given every single person on this earth the power to be able to serve and be agents. I'm going to go back to you on this. You know, you're talking about, about the, the whole idea of sex trafficking and just beyond my ability to frankly understand what caused you to be so anxiously engaged, as the scriptures say, in this cause? Well, I was at that point in my life really, really intent on figuring out what my work here on the earth to do was. That was a thing I was tasked by uh, a guy that I mentored underneath. And one of the questions he kept asking me all the time was, what's your work here on the earth? And I was like, this is what I do for my job. And he's like, that's not the answer to the question. And I couldn't comprehend it. And so I sought for close to about two and a half years what it feels like to me in that moment is the closer I get to figuring it out, the closer I get to waking up every single day with purpose. So I feel like the problems that, that I face and, and maybe that a lot of us face in our lives aren't as big as you know sex trafficking and things like that, but how do you maintain 
anxiously, being anxiously engaged? How do you maintain that energy up when things seem hopeless, when things seem, you know, like pointless? I think at some point in time, it's just grit, determination. Mm -hmm. I don't don't know who the philosopher was, but any person can suffer any what as long as they know the why. Mm -hmm. And I knew the why. So let's let's yeah. go to the audience here. How have you been involved in, in being anxiously engaged in a good cause? Or how have you been the benefit of somebody being anxiously involved in a good cause? Kashay, please. Yeah, I just remember when I was in high school, I'd go and just spend time after school in our drama teacher's classroom for like an hour and a half every day. And at the time, it didn't really, I just was like, I just don't have anything to do and I want to hang out with someone. Um, but when I look back on that, that was something that she didn't have to do. She was a teacher. I mean, she had plenty to be doing besides sitting and just talking to me and hearing out whatever high school cachet was going through at the time. Um, but that was probably one of the first times that I had someone who I felt didn't have any ulterior motive or needed anything from me who was just willing to help me figure out what I wanted to do with my life. You reminded me while you are talking, cachet, thank you, of when I was five years old, I wanted to go to kindergarten so bad. And I went one day and I came home, but there was this lady who lived up the street from me. And one day I went to her house, I knocked on her door and she said, Barb, why aren't you in kindergarten? And I said, oh, I don't know. And then the next day, why aren't you in kindergarten? I don't know. <laughs> why aren't you in It happened multiple times. And then one day I was in kindergarten. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I went to her house afterwards and she said, Barb, how was kindergarten? And I told her about it and I sat there. We had a great time. I went to her house every day until I was probably nine or 10 years old. It wasn't until years later after her funeral that my parents actually said, you know, you know how you got to kindergarten? I said, no. Well, Ellie paid for it. My parents couldn't afford it. It was completely on her own, but she invested in me from the age of five to 10, at least to make sure that I was getting a good education. I think we have one more video that we'd like to talk about or show on this topic. My name is Marie Woodward, and I have a question for you guys. How do I know if I'm being anxiously engaged in a good cause? I feel like all my time and attention is constantly being divided and torn in all different directions. So how do I know how to prioritize my time so that I can feel closer to God and all the craziness of day-to-day life? So can anybody relate to the experience of this sister and have any thoughts on that? So I'm a mom. I, I did the same thing as her. I could feel her pain that how she's trying to accomplish a lot of things that she wants to do. So she feels like, She's, you know, doing all we can from our part. But it didn't bring me to the point where I felt good about it. It, it, All it made me feel was like overwhelmed. So I started narrowing down what I wanted to do, what, what makes me feel good. Sometimes there's a scripture that says, don't run more than you um, run faster than you have faster strength. than you have the strength. Yep. So I started prioritizing list of things what I what makes me feel good. But as also at the same time, that it is uh, aligning to the principles of the commandments that we are asked to do. Once I narrowed down my list, it I felt good about it. I I felt I am serving my family. I am serving someone. You know, I, it started little like that, and I felt much better instead of feeling so much pressure on myself. Yeah, and I think just understanding our gifts and understanding and being prayerful about you know, asking God, how can we consecrate who we are and what we have to offer to the betterment of other people and making realistic expectations, you know, lifting where you stand and, and, and trying to influence within our small sphere and influence and recognizing that it's not all up to you, right? That God works through other people and that he's going to help us along the way as well. 
for me, the bigger effort is to say no to things more than saying yes to things. And, and that, is, that is hard. And there are different people in different ways, but figuring out what is most important, what's going to be, in a sense, the biggest bang for the buck. What is it that the prophet is saying that is most important in our lives? And then what is the Lord saying is most important? And it takes effort to figure that out. This is an unbridled horse, right? Right. This is why I can ride a horse unbridled, because he and I have the same ideas. But it didn't always start out that way. In fact, when he was wild, he had very different ideas than what I had. And I'm sitting there telling this wild horse, like, hey, we're going to die here. This is going to be a very dangerous situation. And then that changes and that transformation takes place because of the character formation and the moral formations and the, and the virtues. That's also what we've seen through Joseph Smith and the prophets. I mean, Joseph was, at the, at the beginning, he did, need a, he did need a bridle. He needed help. And eventually it comes to the point where the Lord is just, Joseph, you've got it. And we see that through the prophets all the way through. And we're trying to get ourselves to that point where we are in line with what the Lord is trying to do. For sure. To say. And you can become a new person with a new heart right? That this is the whole point is you're supposed to eventually come to be the person that is having the same ideas that Christ had, right? Yeah. That's why you got to go getting anxiously engaged. And that's why you got to go fail. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at the transformation that's going to take place, I mean, from a wild horse to a horse that's being ridden like four weeks later, mm-hmm. this is not happening on day two or the second hour. And the thing that you know, the thing we say in wild, in the horsemanship, particularly with the wild horses, it's not breaking a horse, it's gentling a horse. And you gentle in stages, bit by bit, right? This is shaping in, into it. I think if we would learn, maybe one of the big messages that the Mustangs have taught me is to be gentle with me. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that. This has been a great discussion on being anxiously engaged in a good cause. Mm-hmm. And let's now look at the next discussion topic that we can. It's, it's thanking the Lord thy God in all things. So section 59, verse 7, Thou shalt thank the Lord thy God in all things. Now, it's easy enough for us, I think, to, to thank the Lord for all of our blessings, but he's not talking about just blessings. He's saying all things. So the question I have for you is, has it ever been difficult for you to express gratitude for what was happening in your life? And if so, how did you overcome that challenge? So um, honestly, one of the hardest things to you know thank God for is having problems or trials or you know whenever those things happen, you just look at it and go, ah, well, why why did that happen? When in reality, like it's important to think of it and realize that all of it is meant to build us in one way or another to mm-hmm. help us learn or grow as a person. Yeah, excellent. So have you found that it's? I mean, all of us I feel like can express gratitude verbally. But have you found that there's something helpful to help you cultivate the feeling of gratefulness? So one thing that helped me a lot is I got divorced very young and I had two children. And I remember at the time thinking, it can't get any worse than this. And it wasn't my fault. And I felt like my whole world crumbled and I couldn't do anything about it. And it took me about eight or nine years to get remarried. And then I went through nursing school and I was a neonatal ICU nurse. And only at the end, did I look back and see where friends helped me or I learned something? It gave me courage. It gave me faith. And I think going through such a horrible experience that took so much out of me at the time has given me an eternal perspective to where now I'm like, oh, I can handle anything Mm because look what I already did go through. And it gave me a chance to rely on Heavenly Father in a way that in my best moments, I wouldn't have noticed. It seems based on what you're saying that maybe this perspective and gratefulness came after the actual experiences. 
So maybe the lesson in there, as you were saying that, is just giving ourselves time, recognizing that, you know, my mother passes away. I don't have to say thank you right away or something like don't that. Don't sweat or, it. It's going to yeah, work out. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Good. Excellent. Thank you for that. For me, it comes down to a question. And the question is, how do I utilize the virtue of gratitude to convert my grief or my loss into something meaningful? I would go back to being gentle with ourselves and let it happen in the time that it takes. Excellent. Yeah. So this has been a great discussion on thanking the Lord in all things. Thank you very much you for your insights and uh, all of you as well. Yeah, Hugh, we really appreciate you being here. Oh, and you. your insights, so, such good and interesting aspects that you shared with us. We really appreciate it. We'd like to thank you as well. Thank you for our audience, our friends here that have come. We appreciate your insights, your questions, your comments. It's been fantastic. Thank you. Also to those of you at home, thanks for your comments and questions and insights that you sent to us via social media. Uh, we'd love to have you come join us in the studio. But if you can't, we hope you'll tune in next week on Come Follow Up. Thanks. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.